0: You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. The first week, we talked about, in chapter 1 of Philippians 1, we talked about rising above adversity. We talked about how the Apostle Paul is in a Roman prison cell as he's writing this letter, and it should not have been a time for him Least from our perspective, to be full of such joy, but because of his view, because of his understanding and his trust in God, he was able to rise above the adversity and find joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances then in chapter 2, we talked about rising above selfishness, and we talked about being like Christ and having the same perspective as he did. Even though he had equality with God, that wasn't something that he held on to. He came and became in very nature a servant and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then in week three last week, we talked about rising above our adversaries. And we talked about those that we have to overcome, that we find ourselves in, um, in difficult relationships with. And so we talked about looking above and beyond that and moving on past our adversaries and how to do that. This morning, Paul's going to wrap this up by just saying we're going to rise above it all. And he's going to unpack three critical areas this morning as we take a look at God's Word together in chapter 4. And the question that I want to ratchet down on today is simply this. Can we find joy in conflict? Can we find joy beyond worry? And can we find joy when we have very, very little? Those are the things that Paul's going to be kind of walking us through in Philippians chapter four that we're gonna to go to here in just a moment. But I'm gonna ask you, if you would, to stand in both locations. And I'm gonna invite you, if you would, to just bow your hearts with me, and I wanna to pray together. Now, a lot of times, I'll pray directly for you, and you're praying for yourself, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But this morning, I wanna encourage you to pray for the person standing next to you, or in front of you, or maybe behind you. In both locations today, spend these next few seconds praying for them, that God would speak to them, that there would be a breakthrough for them, and they're praying for you in the midst as well. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you have in store for us, for the way in which you're going to challenge us today to rise above it all. Lord, we recognize that we're standing and sitting and kneeling and worshiping next to somebody, a whole bunch of somebody's today, and that they need breakthroughs. They need help to rise above it all. And so we're praying for them that you would help them to experience a fresh revelation of what it would look like for them to rise above conflict, to rise above worry and doubt and fear and anxiety, to rise above discontentment. We pray that you'll help them as you would help us to rise above it all. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, before you're seated, we're talking about rise. So tell your neighbor before you have a seat, are you an early riser or do you want to sleep in as late as you possibly can? It's football season. It's time to root for our favorite teams. And joy is found right here on the field, in the wins. Joy is found in the thrill of victory, in the moments of celebration. Joy is experienced when a team is working together toward the same goal. It's fun when each member of the team knows their position, is satisfied with their role on the team, and does their job well. It's best when they aren't competing against one another. It's a thing of beauty when the whole team is healthy and everyone is adequately conditioned to endure all four quarters. It's joy to watch the clashing of two teams, the conflict and the epic battle right here on the field. That's where joy is found. On the flip side, here in the locker room, discord, divisiveness, internal competition, and jealousy threaten to destroy any football team. But it's not just true of football teams, it's true of any relationship, especially in the church. Even if we get all of our teaching right and all of our creeds are sound, disunity will show the world that we don't belong to Christ will ruin our testimony that's why Paul wrote to those early followers in Philippi in chapter 2 verse 2 he says make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love being one in spirit and one of mind he's calling them to unity and harmony Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14 he says do everything without grumbling or arguing." And as we come to chapter four, Paul brings us to some concerns that he's had with the unity and the harmony of this family of believers. He brings those right out into the open. I plead with Eodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the Book of Life. So we experience deeper levels of joy when we get along with others. Apparently this wasn't a fight about doctrine or Paul would have weighed in decisively on the matter. So it appears that this might have simply been a matter of preference, choice, whatever the conflict was between Iodia and Syntiki, It reveals that even the most mature, faithful and committed people can fall into ugly arguments if they're not diligent to maintain unity. If we're going to rise above discord, we've got to dive headlong into conflict. There must be an intentional pursuit of harmony. This will take us into uncomfortable conversations, face-to-face with others. But on the backside, we'll journey through life with a clean slate, a clear conscience, and an uncommon joy. We've got to stop quarreling, end the cycle of arguing in all of our relationships. Iron out our differences and stop holding grudges. The challenge for you today is to do what you need to do to take the first step. To admit your failure. To seek forgiveness and live in harmony. Pursuing unity. And remember that you're on the same team. It's fine to see conflict out on a football field. You expect that. But not in the locker room. And not in the family of God. There's an uncommon joy on the other side of conflict. Notice in verse 4 that Paul commands the Philippians twice to rejoice. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And then, just in case they didn't get it, he says it again. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, if you tend to think of joy as an emotion, then you could find yourself asking, how can Paul command people to produce emotion but joy is not a feeling it is the deep down confidence that God is in control of everything for our good and his glory and that all is well no matter what the circumstances when Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice he's calling them to a continual practice of rejoicing this habit of rejoicing applies to you and I today as well Now, many times, we can't find a reason to rejoice in our circumstances. We certainly don't find joy in the wickedness, sorrow, misery, and and death that's, that's all around us every day. People let us down. We get hurt, disappointed. The truth is that the only sure, reliable, unwavering, unchanging source of joy is God that's why Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord Now, the challenge we all face as we leave today is not to eliminate the trials that we're facing the challenge is to trust in the good purpose of our infinite holy sovereign and all powerful God in those difficulties if we honor him by trusting him we will experience the blessings of his perfect peace. So who are you at odds with? Who are you in conflict with? How have you allowed conflict with others to rob you and them of joy? What about you when Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all what about you is evident to everyone around you is it joy or is it something else so paul not only wants us to understand that there is joy found on the other side of conflict healthy conflict but he also wants us to see in the next several verses that what we focus our thoughts on determines the depth of our peace and ultimately our joy. He says in chapter four, verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you so if we're going to rise above faulty thinking we've got to come to grips with the fact that worry robs us of the peace and joy made available to us in Christ joy is found in uncommon thinking it's experienced by filling our minds with God's truth and meditating on things that are noble reputable authentic and gracious and then actually living them out. Being anxious, fretful, fearful are the antithesis of what our Heavenly Father has in mind for us. Rather, we're to let petitions and praise shape our worries into prayers. We're encouraged to let God know our concerns and then we're to trust Him to walk alongside us. We focus on heavenly things, and God's Spirit fills us with His peace that enables us to rise above the apprehension and day-to-day uncertainties that we all face. So, when you think about your thought life, what is it that you spend the most time thinking about? Is it the best Or the worst? Are you a cup half full or a cup half empty? Do you think about the beautiful things in life or does your mind tend to drift toward the ugly? Do you think about things to praise or things to curse? Paul says, we'll find joy in uncommon thinking. So as we start to wrap this up, there's one other thing that Paul wants us to know. And that's that deepening joy is found in cultivating contentment. He continues in verse 10, chapter 4, by saying, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be glory forever and ever. Amen. So if we're going to rise above discontentment, we must be open to, as Paul was, learning what true satisfaction really is. Generally speaking, when I read these verses, I'm sure when you hear them too, you feel so far from where Paul was that it's humbling and convicting to even read these words. Everything around us is aimed at creating discontent commercials, ads, upgrades, the newest this and the latest that, all combine to cause an angst within us when we don't get it right away or have it immediately. We're obsessed with defining our needs and loudly demanding that those needs be met. Need has become the number one value in our culture. So Paul models for us what it looks like to find joy in the most uncommon of places with less than. I read when I was studying for today's message, one commentator describes a contented person as one who is confident in God's provision, satisfied with little, independent from circumstances, strengthened by divine power, and preoccupied with the well-being of others. Now, if you're only living for yourself, you will never be content. Because contentment for people who live only for themselves can only come when their circumstances are exactly as they want them to be. That will never happen. Only those who unselfishly put others' well-being above their own will find true joy and contentment now you know a contented person when you see someone whose character is marked by humility submission dependence and unselfishness those virtues characterize all who have learned to be content that applies to teams as well, it applies in the classroom, it applies in your home, in your marriage, with your family, with your friends. This has implications for every relationship in life. Our natural tendency is to focus on the verse that says we can do all things in Christ, but these words are activated by the context, and as we've been reminded each week. Paul is in a season of deep, deep adversity. The toughest, most difficult thing that God ever asked Paul to do was prison. He said, I can do all things, and prison was what he found himself doing in that moment. And through Christ, he found that he could even do that. The good news for you and me today is that so can we we can do all things in Christ because he gives us the strength and he fills us with joy. This up this morning. Um, I want to focus back on one verse that there's a little phrase that I felt very impressed by the Lord this week uh, that I wanted to have you take a look at again. It's the last half of verse 5 because I know that there are some of you here in Oakmont and also up at the mills. You really need to hear this today. Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5, again, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Let me just pause there for a minute. I think a great homework assignment, something to do, an application point here for us, would be for you. I would challenge us all to go and find three people this week and ask them, what what do you see in me? What about me is evident to all? Paul says it's gentleness that, that we're supposed to, in this text. That should be evident to everybody. But I wonder about you and me, what would be evident to everyone else around us? Be an interesting challenge for you. He goes on and he says, and here's the phrase, the Lord is near. Can we find joy in conflict beyond worry and when we have very little? I think a huge piece to all of this is for us to remember that when we're in conflict, the lord is near he's watching and so that should place that should be something that we keep in mind but also when we're being attacked he's there he's got our back the lord is near for those who are plagued with loneliness right now or anxiety or fear or worry the things that paul was talking about there jesus is very near your heavenly Father is near. You haven't been able to escape his attention. The precious Holy Spirit that Jesus sent to dwell us and empower us is very, very near. He's a very present help in times of trouble, the scriptures say. I love the quote that you'll find in your notes. It's from Cory Tinboom, who had to lean into the nearness of God. In a concentration camp, she says this, worry is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. It's carrying two days at once, it's moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. And worrying about the future is like paying interest on money that you may or may not ever borrow. It costs us in the present regardless of what happens in the future. The questions, if only I would have done this or if only I had done that or what if this happens or what if that happens, those questions will plague us and will wreck us and will rob us of true contentment. And so Paul says that the best way to handle worry, the best way to not be concerned about anything The best way to be concerned about nothing is to entrust God with everything. That's what Paul is trying to teach us here in these verses. The best way to be concerned about nothing is to give everything to God. And for those of us that struggle with that area of being content, Paul had to learn that. It was a journey. It wasn't just a magic pill that he took and hey, I'm totally content now in life. It was the circumstances that he let guide him and direct him to the point of learning what it truly meant to be contented with what he had. He didn't fall prey to the comparison trap. We all struggle with that. We all struggle to not compare ourselves to someone else or the world out there. And what they have and what we have and what we don't have and what they do have. And Paul says... And I love what the, what the commentator said, that a contented person is confident in God's provision, satisfied with little, independent from circumstances, strengthened by divine power, and preoccupied with the well-being of others. I want to pray for us this morning. I want to invite you to bow your hearts with me here in mills. Lord, Lord, uh, you know how this lands with each one of us today. You see further than we can see. You know the conflict that we're in or that we will be in. The arguing and the complaining and the grumbling that we have in relationships, the disagreements, the disappointments and the failures on our part and on the part of others. And so Lord, as Paul pleads with this family of believers, we find ourselves in that same place at times, maybe not here in the family of Riverside, but maybe in the family of Riverside, maybe in our homes, maybe in our workplaces, wherever it might be, Lord, would you help us to rise above the conflict and find the joy of getting through those conversations which are difficult. Help us to do our part, to admit our wrong, to own our mistakes to take the first step toward reconciliation. Help us to swallow our pride and to be of the same mind for your sake so that the world will know that we belong to you because we love one another. Lord, for those that are full of worry today, anxiety has gripped them. Uncertainty is something that they wrestle with on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, Lord pray that you'll help us to rise above this faulty thinking of trying to take it all upon ourselves and not trusting everything to you. Lord, help us to look to you, to put our trust in you. Would you pour out your peace as we do? Would you pour out that peace that you said would cover over us, that would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus? You're the God of peace, and so we cry out to you. We long to be people of peace and to be people full of peace who know the joy of giving you everything with thanksgiving. Thank you for inviting us to come and to pray and to seek you, to bring our request before you. Help us, Lord, to do that, but to then focus our minds on the things that will bring peace. And finally, Father, I pray for those that are struggling to remain content with where they are in this moment, in this season of life. Lord, it wrecks us when we are dissatisfied on a continual basis to the point of comparing ourselves to others to our own detriment. Help us, God, to not compare ourselves to anyone but to you and to your plan and to your purpose for us. Strengthen us, Lord. May we be concerned more about the needs of others than just ourselves and what we want, what we long for. Thank you for Paul's words that challenge us as they have each week to rise above the fray, to rise above the things that would weigh us down. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming and ministering your word to each one of us right where we find ourselves today. We're grateful that you speak to us. Now help us, God, to go and to do something with what we've heard. Help us to take that next step, that first step toward change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.